Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. Our focus text this morning will be verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12. This is quite a meaty passage of Scripture. It's a wonderful blessing to us to hear and consider this morning. So get your pens or pencils ready. Take good notes. You can use the outline and the notes pages in your bulletin if you would like to do so. Let us be blessed by God's Word. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear now. The very word of God, written for you and for me today. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. And join me once again in prayer as we ask for the Lord's blessing to open our hearts and minds to receive his word. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we now come to you having heard your word this morning. We come to you with anticipatory hearts, and we come to you hungry to be fed by you, O God. For we know, O Lord, that we can read these words, and they will fall on deaf ears and hearts, unless your Spirit opens our understanding to receive them, to believe them, and to walk according to them. We pray that you would do so by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, where God guides, his faithful people go. And where God calls them, they come. 
Where God guides his faithful people go, and where God calls them, they come. These were two of the big messages that we heard and were blessed with as we considered God's great work of deliverance that Matthew pointed us to in chapter 2. It's true that there are many places in Scripture where God reveals his sovereign will and work to deliver his people from various calamities and oppression. In the second half of Matthew chapter 2, we find God extending divine guidance and protection initially through the word of an angel to Joseph, so that his family, so that God's only begotten son, Jesus, would be safe from the coming deadly sword of Herod. And what what did God tell them to do? Flee. Flee to Egypt. And now on the one hand, they fled for safety as though uh, Jesus was born to die to save his people from their sins, and, and as that is true, then wasn't the time, and, and that wasn't the place or the manner by which Christ must die. On the other hand, they fled so that the prophecy would be fulfilled in their return. God said through the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. And we wonderfully see this as Israel was delivered from under the hand of Pharaoh, and and that pointed to its fulfillment in Jesus, as he was delivered from the hand of the wicked Herod the Great in his family's flight to Egypt. And if you recall, Jesus called Christ and his family to return after Herod died, and they dwelt in Joseph's hometown of Nazareth in Galilee. The true Son of God was called out of Egypt to return, to be with, to to call his people out of bondage to sin and darkness, and to minister to them as they were in the light. And he would do exactly that. And this is where Matthew fast-forwards to about 28 years later in today's text. And we will consider the ministry of John the Baptist and the preparation that he made for Christ and his ministry. Let's look at the details that Matthew provides about his preparation in verses 1 through 6, as well as John's warning the vipers in verses 7 through 10, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in verses 11 and 12. And as we fast forward here in the life of Jesus, keep in mind that the the Bible isn't silent on important events in the earlier life of Christ, as he was growing up. In fact, Luke gives us a window into Jesus' early years in Luke chapter 2. There we see Jesus' circumcision, him being presented in the temple, Simeon's song of thanks, Anna's witness of Christ being the Redeemer, and Jesus' amazing, the temple scholars, etc. But here, Matthew tells us of the arrival of John the Baptist on the scene And he says, in those days. If you look at verse 1, he says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So, the days that John the Baptist came preaching was during the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. But who was John the Baptist? Well, let's look at three passages briefly. Turn with me in Luke chapter 1, if you would. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. 
John was the son of the priest Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was barren, and both she and Zacharias were, were older in age. And yet an angel of the Lord made the announcement to Zacharias that Elizabeth would bear him a son. And in Luke chapter 1, actually beginning in verse 13, we read, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Beloved, as we see even in verse 15, John was a Nazarite like Samson and Samuel. He was set apart for special service to God. Remember also what happened when Elizabeth was pregnant with John in Luke 1.41, just a few verses later. John leaped in her womb when Mary greeted Elizabeth in her visit. We read there in 41, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're also told in Luke 1 that when Elizabeth was full term with John, he was born and soon after circumcised in accordance with the law. And now fast forward in the life of John to this time. This time when he was preaching, and again, it was when he and Jesus were about 30 years of age. And now, why was he preaching, though, in the wilderness of Judea, as Matthew says in verse 1? That's a a good question. This humble man preached there to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3. And we'll consider this more in verse 3 in a moment. But the wilderness of Judea was the region that covered the Jordan Valley, just north and west of the Dead Sea. It was a desert. It was part of the country that wasn't highly populated. But know that there were six cities and their villages in it. And you can find the names of those cities uh, listed in Joshua 15, verses 61 and 62. And now there's much that can be said about the wilderness references in Scripture, of course. We could dedicate sermons to that. Maybe at some time I will. But the Israelites, for example, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. John preached here in the wilderness. Jesus was later driven into the wilderness to be tempted and tested by Satan. But what was the message that John preached here? And why did he preach what he preached? Look at verses 2 and 3 of Matthew 3. He said, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And notice verse 3, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Beloved, see here what John preached. John preached the gospel. He didn't fluff up or, or water down that the people the message that the people needed. This is what the people needed. It's not necessarily what they wanted, and that's true today as well, isn't it? For indeed, this is the message that all gospel ministers need to preach. The message of repentance unto life. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15, opens with this very statement saying, Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith and Christ in Christ. So faith and repentance need to be the uh, regular, faithful preaching of ministers of the gospel. And if this is what John preached, another good question is, what is true biblical repentance? And I want to consider this for a moment, because sometimes we may think that we know what it is, and we maybe truly don't. It isn't a mere apology. It isn't just saying, I'm sorry. It isn't just sorrow for sin, although that's an important part of it. But simply put, biblical repentance is literally, in the language, a change of mind. It is a changed view of the sin that we once loved. It's seeing the filthiness of our sins for what they really are as violations of God's holy law. And as we know this, we, we grieve for, we, we sorrow for, and, and, and we hate our sins turning from them all unto Jesus. Turning from them all unto Jesus. Doing an about face. Endeavoring to walk in faithful obedience before Him. Repentance is about turning from sin and unto Christ. Is this how you've understood repentance? Does it challenge your understanding? Have you truly repented of your sins and turned from them unto Jesus? I encourage you to think about these things, even this very moment. But why did John call any and all of the people who heard him to repent? The kingdom of heaven, or as Mark and Luke refer to it as, the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, some evangelicals view the kingdom to be strictly future. However, that isn't what we see here. The kingdom of God is what the Old Testament prophets foretold and waited for in reference to God's sovereignty being seen in the redemption of his people. The kingdom of God among men is the restoration of man to the life of blessedness and eternal happiness in fellowship with God. And that kingdom was about to burst onto the scene. For as Matthew, John, and Jesus declared, the king himself had come. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, 
born in the flesh. He had come, praise the Lord. The time of waiting was over. Christ's entire life of obedience, beloved, his, his atoning death, His resurrection and ascension are the means by which He inaugurated the kingdom. He came to earth to gather unto God sinners who are alienated from the Lord. And through the preaching of His Word and Gospel, by the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gathers sinful people to live under God's rule and to rejoice under God's rule. Jesus proclaimed this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, didn't He? He said, the time is fulfilled and the, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. Faith and repentance. Both gifts from God. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that understand, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Repent and believe the Gospel, Jesus said. This is what the people needed to hear. They needed to hear, believe, repent, and turn to Christ. And now, notice in verse 3, that the great reason for and the importance of the message preached by John the Baptist was because he was the, fore, the foretold forerunner of Christ. He was the voice Isaiah spoke of as the one crying in the wilderness. He is the one who would call for the, repent, the preparation of the way of the Lord and the making of his path to be straight. The preparation of the king, preparing the way he has come. This is what you need to hear. Again, no fluff, no watered down. Turn, O wicked sinners. Turn from your sin and unto Christ for salvation. And there was great reason for this. But before John goes into that, Matthew describes John's appearance in verse 4. Look at what he said. Now John himself was clothed, was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mark begins his gospel with the same detailed description. Again, here's John the Baptist, a man of a different sort, a man who is a herald. In many ways, similar to Matthew, a slightly different message, important message, a complimentary message that needed to be proclaimed and heard even as a cry in the wilderness. But he's not what you would anticipate. He's not wearing the suit and the bow tie. He's got camel's hair. He's got a leather belt around his waist. He eats locusts and wild honey. He gets honey from the honeycombs and the trees in the wilderness. This is not the man that, from appearances, you would think would be the forerunner, the herald of Christ. But yet, again, we see the work of God. We see the work of God in the unlikely and the unexpected. Because it isn't about them. It's about Jesus. The focus was never to be on John. He was pointing people to Christ. 
That's who they needed to see. That's who they needed to know. But why did John come to preach with a camel hair wardrobe in the wilderness? Was he just a rough and rugged wilderness man? No, he clearly was in some ways. But know that that wasn't the sole reason for his attire. Remember, Luke said that John would go before Jesus in the power and spirit of Elijah. And that's important. What does the scripture teach us about Elijah's appearance? We'll look back in 2 Kings chapter 1. You can turn with me there if you'd like. 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. We read there, Then he said to them, What kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, A hairy man, wearing a leather belt around his waist, and he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Hmm. So, so not only was it John that came as a herald of good news to the people in the spirit and power of Elijah, but also in his appearance, and showed him to be the forerunner of Christ. All of these things together. And as he preached Christ's coming, beloved, John was the road that led the people to God and the rich blessings that are in Jesus. And how did the people respond to John? As he was preaching, as he was crying out in the wilderness and baptizing. Then all Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins, verse 5 and 6 teach us. Beloved, remember that under Herod, when the birth of Christ was announced, they were troubled along with him. But now here, 28 years later, people from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were coming out to hear John, who was pointing to that man and proclaiming that man that 28 years earlier Herod tried to kill. And notice that John baptized them in the Jordan River. They acknowledged and confessed their sins against God and others. And why did John baptize them? Well, baptism is a ceremonial cleansing that portrays to us that we and our children are conceived and born in sin and need to be cleansed. Baptism teaches us that we are polluted and corrupted by sin. We need to be washed and we need to be made clean in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism teaches us the need for the remission of our sins. And again, this is lock and step, all connected with His message of repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so John came and told the people how sinful and wicked they were. They, they needed to repent. They, they needed to be washed in the blood of the Messiah who would baptize them in the Holy Spirit. John's purpose was to prepare the people to hear the Messiah. 
His purpose was to prepare the people to hear the Messiah. John had a very unpopular message. It's unpopular and as unpopular today as it was back then. Some things never change. For the hearts of sinners don't like to hear that they're sinners. We don't like to hear that we are polluted to the core and we are corrupted and defiled by sin and that we need to turn from what we are doing. We think that we're kings of our own mountains. We're doing everything right. But no, we are guilty in the sight of the holy God as lawbreakers. And so this was needed. As the ministry of Christ was about to break onto the scene, as as the kingdom was about to be present even among them, as, as it was proclaimed here, as at hand, this is what you need to be mindful of. Getting right with God. In every biblical sense of that phrase. And so, as he continues in verse 7, it says in verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Beloved, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were hypocrites. They were snakes in the grass. They were whitewashed tombs, pious on the outside, but dead and empty on the inside. And they came out to his baptism, but John knew their hearts. He knew who they were. He knew that they weren't truly repentance. They truly were a brood of vipers. They were there to bite and poison the people. The call to repent and flee from God's wrath that John preached was for the people. And remember when the Pharisees asked Jesus why he ate with the tax collectors and sinners, what did he say in Luke 5, 31 and 32? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the message. The self-righteous are exactly that. God's call is to the sick. Those who have their eyes opened and their hearts changed. Those who belong to him and call out to him for mercy because they see who they are and they know who he is and they turn in repentance and true faith. But notice how John goes on to warn them as well. He makes this statement to them in verse 7. Matthew 3. But notice what he says in verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, because he knew they would, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Beloved, John's call here undoubtedly cut deep as he exposed them. 
Show fruit that is evidence of a lively faith within you, John said. See how he challenged them to stop claiming their salvation was in their birth and in their ancestry, for they were in the line of Abraham, but they lacked the faith of Abraham. Those who believe, beloved, bear good fruit. John declared Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verses 19 and 20, when he said this, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Therefore, John's call was, You are deceived. Wake up, believe, repent, and turn to Christ before it's too late, you Pharisees. For the divine axe is sharp and ready to cut your roots, to cut you down in judgment and to throw you into the fire of hell. That was his message. And yet considering all that John preached and proclaimed, he was truly the forerunner pointing to the one who is greater or mightier than he. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Notice, what humility. John knew who he was in light of the king. He was but his subject. He was but a herald. I'm not worthy to carry the sandals of the king. But Christ, he said, would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Beloved, John knew his role and purpose, and the people needed to as well. For Christ is mightier than John. John knew Jesus' infinite worth and his own unworthiness. And further, the people didn't need to rest in John's baptism. For the mightier one would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire, notice. Now on the one hand, the, the cleansing with fire describes God's supernatural baptism, and that being in view here, in contrast with the sign of cleansing with water. The fire of the Spirit sanctifies our hearts, working in our hearts like the refiner's fire, purging our lusts and our corruptions, along with inflaming our hearts with the sense of God's love. And on the other hand, the fire consumes the wicked like chaff. And so we are pointed to Jesus being the one who both baptizes with the Holy Spirit and executes the final judgment. Again, more the reason of repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But note in verse 12 how John compares a threshing floor to Christ's church. Jesus has his winnowing fan and uses it to to blow the chaff away from the wheat. He uses the preaching of the gospel to make that separation and to distinguish those who believe from those who don't. Beloved, Jesus will purify His church by His power and He will clean out of His church everyone who does not repent and show the, the, the fruit of true faith. And that was true of the Pharisees and Sadducees and it remains true today. 
I'll leave you with this. As Matthew heralded the birth of the king, see John here, beloved, as a prophet like Elijah, heralding the king and his kingdom. As John's message was to repentance unto life and to turning to Christ, I ask you, have you done so? Have you turned to Christ in true faith, repenting of your sins and pleading His mercy and forgiveness? If you haven't, I call you this day to do so. But also take the clarity and the importance of John's Gospel home with you today. The Kingdom of Christ has come. Jesus is the King, the Savior, and the Judge. And as He calls sinners to repentance unto life, as He threshes the floor, He blesses and gathers those who are His wheat into His barn, those who turn to Him, and He gives us all the benefits that come with being united to Him, and those are gloriously applied by His Spirit. But He also blows away all who refuse to the eternal fire of hell. And so again, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Praise God for his word. Let us pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, oh, we praise you for this, your word. We pray that you would write it into our hearts and minds, that you would open us to not only see it and know it, but Lord, to obey it, to see you more clearly, O oh Lord, to love you, to love you and your kingdom, Lord Jesus. Oh, we pray that through the preaching of your word and the gospel this day, that many would bow the knee and that many would turn unto you, Lord Christ, knowing who you are and what you have done in redemption but also what you will do in judgment. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.